This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Brian Lager talks about liturgical living. How does the laity participate in liturgical living on a daily basis? How is liturgical living beneficial? Well, let's find out. Father Brian is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. Father Brian Logger. He's hey, been on morning. before. So you good bet. to have him come again. Good and we're going to be, be talking about liturgical living. Father, so can you lead us in you a bet. prayer? We are in the first day of uh, December, and as we talk about the liturgical living, one of the things we'll talk about is each month has a, something that's dedicated to, um, and uh, December is dedicated to the Immaculate Conception. So let us especially pray through her intercession. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Almighty God, we ask you to send your blessings upon us here today. We ask, we thank you for Kelly for coming in and working this carathon for us, and, and we thank you for Lester and Donetta who have founded this radio station and and allowed it to go over the airwaves across our diocese and lord we thank you for uh, just the life that you have given us to live in you and to move and have our being in you and we pray these things through mary's intercession as we say hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. So we have Father Brian Logger here. He's going to be talking about liturgical living. All right. So by way of introduction, Father Brian Logger was ordained in 2012 and has ministered in nine parishes before becoming the pastor of Sacred Heart Parish in Colby. He is in his second year at Colby. Um, and so we are going to talk about liturgical living, Father. So so tell me about that and, and where <laughs> sure. we're going with this. So I'm going to start, I always like to start with some book recommendations. And one that I just began is this book by Christopher Carson's. It's called A Devotional Journey into the Mass, How Mass Can Become a Time of Grace, Nourishment, and Devotion. And it's a phenomenal little book. It's super short, uh, 130 pages or so. It's even less than that because those are the... uh, uh, in notes, but um, 125 pages to ta- to learn more about how to pray the mass and just mm-hmm. simple things. So I've I'm only through one chapter and just talking about the doors of the church. That's where it begins, and so kind of a beautiful little way that uh, they talks about that. And the second book I'm going to talk about is uh, uh, actually the the Liturgy of the Hours uh, or the Divine Office or the Breviary. Um, it's got it's got many different names, and so we'll get to that. And uh, we'll start talking about that a little bit as well. So, so liturgical living begins with creation. We're all we're all familiar with the story of creation, how God creates the world in six days and then rests on the seventh day. He creates dark light. He creates the animals. Uh, he creates the sun, the moon, which thus then gives us time and thus gives us seasons. And so all of these things are, are part of creation. And what is what does God want us to do with that creation? What does God want us to do uh, with that which he has created for us? And when we continue to read in, in the book of Genesis, we see that Adam, before the fall, walked with God, and he lived in, in oneness with God. And and when we think about that walking with God and that oneness with God, it's, it's truly a, a prayer life to have that constant conversation 
with God that, that we are called to have. In fact, uh, the scriptures say that we're, we're supposed to pray always. And so Adam had that before the fall. And it was, uh, and before the fall, we lived in perfect harmony, harmony with God, harmony with one another, harmony with, uh, within ourselves and harmony with all of creation. And, and that allowed for us to walk in that union with God and that constant union with God. And with the fall destroyed that harmony. And so it makes our, our relationship with God uh, difficult. It creates tension uh, amongst humans, creates within us even some tension within ourselves so that we don't know ourselves as well as we ought. And then, of course, there is uh, the difficulties that we with creation in which the tilling and the keeping and the, and the, and the working of the earth actually becomes more difficult as well. And, and so what do, we, what do we do with all of these things? We can see from the very beginning that there begins to be uh, an opportunity for uh, the people of God to begin to offer their lives to God. And we see that the story in the story of Cain and Abel, how Cain and Abel have a desire not forced upon them by anyone, but they have this desire to give back to God from what God has given them. And so we see that, oh gosh, I'm probably going to get it wrong. Uh, so Cain was, Cain was the tiller of the earth and Abel was the sheep herder. Is that right? I don't, don't know. remember. Yeah, I don't okay. Know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, one of them offered the, from the first fruits and the other one did not offer from the offer from the first fruits. Cain becomes jealous uh, of Abel's offering and, and then kills him. But we see that there's this uh, just this arising within the people to give back to God. And so it's an interesting kind of way in which the story, the book of Genesis talks about it, because there's no commandment from God saying you have to do this. There's just this natural desire to give back to God mm-hmm. and, and offer sacrifice to him in in thanksgiving for, for what they have been given. And, and that still remains within us. We have this need f- from within us to give back to God from which he has given us. And, and not to just give back a little bit, but to give back the first fruits and to, as Jesus calls us to, to pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. And so how do we go about doing that? How do we go about praying without ceasing? That's, that's kind of the, the whole point of, of the liturgical life. That's the whole point of our life as Christians is, is to learn how to do that, is to begin to pray without ceasing. And, and the whole point of the liturgy, the liturgy, it, it can be defined in, in several different ways. I don't have the definition in front of me like I should, uh, but, uh, but the definition has kind of this this aspect in which it is Christ working through us uh, in order to in order to give that glory back to God. And so the liturgy is not about us giving and doing this work. It's about God working through us in the Holy Spirit and offering the sacrifice of our life and offering the sacrifice of of the Mass uh, back to to our God. And so how do we take what that liturgy is and, and apply it to the rest of our life? That's, that's kind of the whole purpose of this. And when we begin to do that, when we begin to take the liturgy, the high point of our entire life, and remember we do this on Sunday, which, which is the eighth day, the day of the resurrection, the celebration of the resurrection of Christ, we do this and it becomes the source and summit of the entirety of our, of our entire existence, our entire Christian life, as, as the documents of Vatican II say, and in which the catechism says that the mass is the source and summit of, of our entire Christian life. And so if we, if we 
come to mass and we only spend the hour at mass or whatever it is for, for my people, they know it's more like an hour 15 cause I preach too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but it is, it is the matter of taking what God gives us and, and taking it and not just leaving it there when we walk out the doors, but actually taking the liturgy and what we have done and the glory and praise that we have given to God in that, in that, in that hour and extending that throughout our entire week. And, and so how do we do that? How do we do that? And, um, and once again, we'll go back to the Old Testament. When, when the Israelites began to live according to God and they were taken out into the wilderness, they went to the base of Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses goes up the mountain. Once again, they, they feel this need to, to adore and worship a God. They build the golden calf, blah, blah, blah. We all know the story. They fall. But God brings down to them the, the Ten Commandments, giving them that direction in their life. But he also establishes that for them the tabernacle in the wilderness in which they live. This tabernacle, which literally means the place where God dwells, where God comes down to dwell. And then there is, he establishes the priests. The Levites become the priests in order to, in order to set up the tent of meeting, to set up the, play, the tabernacle where God dwells, to, uh, to do the work of God. That is, that is a point of the priests. Even, even in that very basic tent that was built for the people of God as they traveled and wandered throughout the wilderness. And so that when they get to Jerusalem and finally establish themselves as, a na- as the nation in the promised land that God has given them, they build the temple. Solomon builds the temple. And they establish in that temple, actually, the, the priestly the priestly divisions. And there's 24 priestly divisions. And those priestly divisions are divided for the 24 hours in a day so that there's this constant prayer to God on behalf of the people through the priests, through the Levitical priests, offering that prayer to God as, as God so desires. Not because God is, is a ruler that desires just our complete subjection, but because God wants what's best for us. He wants us to be with him. And so it's this recognition that we are trying to get back into this union, this union with God. That's, that's the whole purpose of our entire existence is to be in union with God. Mm-hmm. And that harmony, that union left in the fall, and we, continue, we still continue to struggle with that today. In the, the last several weeks in the, at Mass, uh, we've been reading, as we, got, as we get to the end of the liturgical year, there's that prediction from Jesus that the temple will fail, that the temple will fall down, yeah. that stone will not be left upon stone. And kind of the, the depth of meaning in this um, is that uh, kind of the commentators on, uh, about this that, that I read talk about, there is this guy by the name of... I don't remember his first name. He was a first century writer and his name was Josephus. And he's for all of our knowledge about kind of what the Jewish life looked like during that time. Um, he's one of the main guys that, uh, that these guys follow, but he talks about the temple and the temple for the Jews was, was, uh, several things. And kind of the final thing was that the temple was a microcosm of the world. And, uh, so what Brant Petrie said, one of the commentators that I, that I mm-hmm. read, he says, in any case for the Jews, then the universe, the whole universe was like a macro temple. It was a holy place where God spiritually dwelt, but the earthly Jerusalem temple was like a micro universe. It was a microcosm. Hmm. So for the Jew, when the temple was destroyed, there was a real sense in which the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem symbolized and signified the destruction of the whole universe the destruction of heaven and earth, the dissolution of the entire cosmos, and ultimately then the day of the final judgment. And I only bring that up just because of, of the priestly divisions that existed in the temple. 
and how they were uh, constantly at prayer with the 24 divisions, constantly offering prayer to God, um, divided in those 24 hours. And I think the way in which uh, God established that through Moses, through um, through David, through Solomon, when those divisions were, were started, um, that's something that we have to incorporate into our life as well. And so how we see that in, in Christianity is, is actually, we, have, we, we call it the sanctifying of the hour, the sanctifying of the day. Yeah. And liturgically, how we do that is actually what we call the Liturgy of the Hours. Mm. You know, that, that little book that I showed at the beginning of the interview here. And the Liturgy of the Hours is, is the, for, for priests, we're required to pray, uh, pray it five times a day. We actually take a vow at our ordination to pray it every single day pray those five hours for the people that we serve specifically and for the good of the church. But there's also the uh, the religious orders that dedicate their lives to praying this as well. And some that, that pray more, I think there's a possibility of praying seven hours, I think is what it is. And many times they get up in the middle of the night in order to do, in order to pray uh, uh, matins. And uh, which for us would be the office of readings, basically. And, uh, and they, they pray those in the middle of the night. And so they're constantly offering their life to prayer, constantly desiring to sanctify the day, constantly trying to sanctify the world uh, through their prayer. So that when we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, we actually are joining into all of those prayers. And we are caught up into that uh, liturgical universe, that liturgical universe of of heaven in which the divine liturgy ultimately takes place, that heavenly liturgy ultimately takes place. And we enter into that by, by uniting ourselves with the prayer of the church. And we, you know, the mass is the most common uh, liturgy that we are familiar with, but the liturgy of the hours is actually what we call the prayer of the church. And as a priest, we're required to pray the breviary every day. We're not required to pray mass every day. And uh, we should, it's good for us to do that. But the, liturgy, but the liturgy of the hours is, is what we are required to do. It's what we it's what we take a vow to do. Really, um, I always thought yep. that you were required to pray the mass every day. We're not required to. Wow, nope. Nope. wow, okay. Nope. But like I said, it's good for us to do it because of what it is. Sure. <laughs> and so to to not do that is not good for our priesthood necessarily because the priesthood and the mass go together yeah. hand in hand. But so the, so with the mass, there's a general instruction of the Roman Missal that tells us how to pray the mass. But there's also a general instruction of the liturgy of the hours. That uh, that it's good for us to read, uh, at least for me as a priest, to read every year, just to make sure I'm doing uh, what the church desires. And so, and it says in paragraph ten, it says, "Christ taught us you must pray at all times and not lose heart." Mm-hmm. Luke chapter eighteen. Mm-hmm. The, ch- the church has been faithful in obeying this instruction. It never ceases to offer prayer and makes this exhortation its own. Through him, Jesus, let us offer to God an unceasing sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 15. The church fulfills the precept not only by celebrating the Eucharist, but in other ways also, especially through the liturgy of the hours. By ancient Christian tradition, what distinguishes the liturgy of the hours from other liturgical services is that it consecrates to God the whole cycle of the day and the night. So the liturgy of the hours is literally taking those hours that God has created for us and that creation of the seven days, the creation of the sun, the moon and the seasons and putting them into prayer really for us. That's kind of that's kind of what that is for. The general instruction goes on to say the purpose of the liturgy of the hours is to sanctify the day and the whole range of human activity. Therefore, its structure has been revised in such a way as to make each hour once more 
correspond as nearly as possible to natural time and to take account of the circumstances of life today. So this was written after uh, the changes, after Vatican II, when it called for the changes in the liturgy. So it was, it was reorganized after that to make it easier for, for priests to pray and for uh, the laity and for the religious as well. So hence, that the day may be truly sanctified and the hours themselves recited with spiritual advantage, it is best that each of them be prayed at a time most closely corresponding to the true time of each canonical hour. So before Vatican II, what would often happen is, is uh, priests would get busy in their day, and it took a lot of time to pray the old breviary. And so they, they would get to the end of their day, and they would just pray the entire thing. <laughs> and yeah. that's not what the church really desires. Yeah. Uh, the church really desires for us to actually go and pray the parts that are meant to be prayed at the, at the specific times um, that they are set up, yeah. set up to do. And so what happens is in the Liturgy of the Hours in a, in a, in a four-week cycle, so every month, we pray almost all of the 150 psalms through the breviary. Mm. And by praying the psalms, we are uniting our prayers to Jesus, who the psalms would have been the prayers of Jesus when he was walking on earth. Yeah. So that's the whole point of the priesthood, right, is to be like Jesus because we're an altar Christus living in persona Christi. And so if we're praying the psalms, then we are supposedly praying with Jesus as well mm. in that. So that's, that's for the priests, but also when you think of the religious that pray it, um, they're meant to conform their life to Christ as well. And so they're also doing that very same thing. But the thing about the Liturgy of the Hours is, and in the general instruction, it talks about how it also calls for the people of God, the laity, to do the same thing, to mm -hmm. pick up the Liturgy of the Hours and to begin praying the Liturgy of the Hours as well in order to get a fullness of the entirety of the liturgy that the church offers to us and to also then sanctify our day. Now, it's, it's fairly difficult for the laity to pray all of the hours um, just because of children and work and all the things that they have to do. But what if the laity during, I don't know, Advent or something like that or during Lent uh, just took it up and began praying just night prayer, you know, mm -hmm. which night prayer is the, one of the shortest ones. It's one of the easiest ones. It's easy to pick up that way. Or what if they sat down and just did evening prayer every day? It's a little bit longer. takes a little bit more time. And the Liturgy of the Hours takes some time to learn how to do it and, 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 to, and to pray with it. But what begins to happen is in reading, in preparing for this and in reading what some people had to say about it, what they find is that through their days, and I find this in my own life as well, is that those words of the Psalms at certain moments of the day just start popping up. Hmm. And, and when you start praying the breviary, and I've been doing it for 15 years now about... It just, some of the words of the Psalms just pop up in moments that you're just like, oh, the Psalms speak about this. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of neat to see how that begins to be part of the part of your day. And the liturgy begins to be part of your day when you start to pray the Psalms in, in that manner. And so it's just this beautiful opportunity to join ourselves with the whole prayer of the church and uh, and enter into those Psalms that that Jesus that Jesus wanted us to do. And so living liturgically, I believe, begins with taking the Mass and taking it with us into the world. But I think if we can actually go into praying the Liturgy of the Hours, that praying of the Liturgy and living liturgically begins there. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of the next parts that I want to share is seven ways that we can actually really begin to live liturgically. 
But I think it begins with the Liturgy of the Hours, because when we begin to live the Liturgy of the Hours and pray the Liturgy of the Hours and pray what the Church desires for us to pray, then all of these other things I'm going to share with you actually kind of begin to become naturally. So that's kind of the way that I feel about that. We need to go to a break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more about liturgical living with Father Brian Lager. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Liturgical Living. With Father Brian Lager. Kelly Roper conducts the interview. You're talking with Father Brian Lager. Sometimes, sometimes uh, this is kind of off topic, but I think it's good to talk about it. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that, yes, we can look all around us and it looks like the world is crumbling. And it kind of is. But I don't know about a lot of the parishes, um, but in my parish in Colby, um, it's a thriving young parish. We have multiple Mm -hmm. families with lots of children. And uh, when I showed up to the parish, there was... 15 babies expected to be born um, nice. in the next nine months Love that. Um, or less, actually. But uh, but even this coming spring, as from what I am aware of, we have 10 or 11 babies to be born again. Wow. And um, somebody just called to have a set of twins baptized. I know that we've got another set of twins on the way. And uh, and so out, even out where I'm at, there's, there's great hope. Um, our church is usually pretty full. And, uh, and people beginning to realize that the world is not the world is not offering them what they know that they need yes and so they're they're searching they're looking and um, and we as a catholic as catholic people need to be open and welcoming to that the yeah. arguments that we have to that we used in order to bring people into the church are different than the way that, what they used to be yeah. and we have to go back to the basics of why god you know yeah. which that used to be pretty much just across the board accepted but it's just not anymore yeah and so and so yeah we're still fighting against the culture but uh, but the church has fought against that before. Yeah. And so that's not anything different. Yeah. And I, I think this topic that I'm talking about is one of the ways that that happens. Yeah. Is because when children are living a liturgical life and their parents are introducing them to that and they invite their friends over to see that, their friends are like, oh, my goodness, a yeah. stable, normal life where they actually get together, they talk to each other. They sit down. Uh, and they actually uh, they actually have time together. Yeah. And I think one of the formative things for me in, in this liturgical living, some of the some of the traditions that, that families pick up is uh, one of the things that we did as a family is is that the meals that we ate together, which was almost all of them except for breakfast, uh, my parents were committed to we will eat meals together. Mm. Was that uh, we would we would light the Advent wreath and we would pray the Angelus, mm. um, and then and then we would sit down for our meal. You know, and that was we didn't have a lot of traditions in our family, but that's one that we did have. We yeah. didn't pray the rosary together as a family, but we did this, yeah. and uh, and and we also did what we called Advent Angels, where we draw a name out of a hat for our family, and then we have to do something kind for them that yeah. week. 
And uh, we always hated drawing dad's name because we knew what that meant. I meant mil- milking more cows or something <laughs> like that. So, <laughs> so we didn't like doing that. But anyway, it was it, it was a tremendous thing that that we did. So uh, very grateful, very grateful for what my parents did and in, in introducing me to the liturgy. The church was the number one thing for us and our family. Mm-hmm. And I think when people begin to live liturgy and begin to live the faith. Um, it's the same thing for them, and the and the kids do pick up on it. Yeah. Um, when we have those family traditions, and they do stick with us yeah. longer than what sometimes we think. So. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And and you know, I really love that you bring that up because sometimes it does seem pretty dark, you it know, does, and yeah. and and it, it's real easy to get caught up in that. Yeah. But we need to remember, you know who has won the battle Absolutely. and who will win the battle. Yeah. You know, it, it It really, you know, we know that, that uh, you know, we're going to prevail in Absolutely. the end, but that doesn't mean we don't go through some tough times. Absolutely. And, you know, you were talking about how the, the laity can, can join in praying the Liturgy yes. of the Hours. I actually have an app that makes it pretty easy, I you do. know, and there's there's yep. plenty of apps out there. Moving the little ribbons and stuff, that, that wasn't <laughs> right. for me. You know, right. you know how hard I looked for a <laughs> trivia. That just was not my thing. But if I can pull it up on iBrevery is right. the one that I it's, use. It's the best one. And and yep. you know, it just it just comes up for the yep. the particular and, date and, it and it's in order and <laughs> exactly. Right. It's right. so easy. So, yep. you know, you really can't not do yep. it when it's that Absolutely. easy. And it's beautiful. If you can pray it with your yep. husband, you know, pray it with your children. What mm-hmm. a what a beautiful thing it is to join in that yes. liturgical part of the church. One of the one of the recommendations I saw is that when a husband gets home from work or whatever, um, he's sitting in his chair at night and the kids are around playing, for him to just pick up the breviary and uh, and to just pray it and just invite someone to do it. Not to force them and say, hey, we're going to do this, but just yeah. say, does anyone want to pray with, pray with me? Yeah. And he said their family had gotten in such a habit of praying it and the kids knew enough about it that even if they said no and he would start praying it aloud, the kids would chime in. Yeah. You know how kids are. Yeah. They chime yeah. in with, with the th- parts that they still know, even yeah. if they're over there playing with their trucks yeah. you know, or their dolls or whatever. Yeah. Um, they, they, st- they still... They're still listening, um, and and it's just a it's a phenomenal witness and a great example to pass on to the yeah. kids that yeah mom and dad prayed that's what they did yeah. and here's their prayer book here's their breviary um, here's their rosary all those yeah. sorts of things but yeah. I'm glad you brought up the the I breviary thing I think that's one of the things that technology has been a great help for things like this mm-hmm. to be able to do this there's a million blogs out there about especially homeschooling families who want to live liturgically. Um, even if you're not a homeschooling family, there's lots of ideas out there. Mm-hmm. The danger can be to try and do everything. And uh, and we don't need to do everything. We just need to do, uh, not even need, but it's a good idea to do something. It doesn't have to be the liturgy of the hours. It can be something simpler, whatever. Maybe your f- a family already has those traditions that they already do and all those liturgical things that they do. But uh, I, I know of other people, and this is going to kind of go into the next part of what I want to say, but... People who live liturgically, they will actually dress according to the um, season in the yeah. church. Yeah. Some people, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see people wear red on Pentecost. Yeah. Um, or you think of Easter, like people wear their beautiful Easter dresses. Yeah. And uh, they're very colorful, very bright, typically white or uh, pastel yeah. color. I miss the days when all the women wore hats. Yeah. I, was a, I mean, I, when I was a kid, all the women would show up with their hats on Easter yeah. Sunday. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful tradition. Yeah. And, uh, and, and just being aware of the different liturgical seasons in that way, just paying attention to what's going on in the church. 
through through that stuff, but also living those liturgical days of of uh, just like like Advent, doing something as a family together during Advent, uh, whether it be having the advent candles out maybe it may be a common fast as a family during lent mm-hmm. um maybe there's some uh tradition that we can pick up as a family for christmas or for yeah. easter yeah. just so, just something that we do to actually recognize that we are doing this and that we're doing we're following the church's calendar yeah because it begins to mark uh the very seasons in which god has given us yeah. and so we're giving them back to god in that way yeah. when when we talk about the end of liturgical year Sometimes we think of a of a year as kind of linear, begins and ends, and you yeah. move on. But with with liturgy and with our lives as Catholics, it, it's more of cylindrical. Maybe you could think of it as a mountain, like climbing a mountain. And so you go around the mountain. Mountains in Colorado, you don't typically go around. But anyway, <laughs> you, you go around, yeah. and hopefully, when you come back to where you started, you're not in the same place, but you're actually rising. And that mountain is, in a sense, the Lord of Hosts or Mount Zion, yeah. as we hear yeah. in the scriptures. And we're climbing closer and closer to God. That's yes. kind of how we ought to view it. Yes. And so, if we are living that liturgy and recognizing that along the way, there's pit stops along the way of that liturgical mm-hmm. cycle that we can stop and take a rest. Yeah. So it's not always about fasting. It's not always about, it's not always about, okay, got to do more penance. But this is why the church celebrates. And this is why we have feasts. We fast and we feast. So next week when we celebrate uh, the Immaculate Conception, Mm -hmm. you know, when the church talks about Holy Days of Obligation, it talks about treating Holy Days of Obligation like Sundays. And so it's days when if we can help it, we ought not to work. If we can help it, we ought not to do uh, the type of work that is burdensome. And uh, and even like, uh, like this, this might be Maybe a far stretch, but maybe we take our kids out of school <laughs> and we say, you know what? It's a feast day. We're going to go to yes. mass together and we're actually going to celebrate together. Yes. Um, we're actually going to celebrate the day together. And if we can take off work or, or whatever, I know that's a stretch. Not everybody can do that. But, uh, but how can we mark the solemnity and actually celebrate the fact that Mary was immaculately conceived? Yes. So just doing all of those things, maybe it's, uh, and this is kind of with that as well. This is one of the last things, but maybe we build an altar and we have an altar in our house. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily where we have mass, but it's a, it's a prayer space that is set up that has candles, maybe a statue, a crucifix, that whenever we cross it, we remember to pray. Yes. We remember to say, say a prayer. Um, we remember that we're meant to offer our lives on that altar or on the altar, the altar of God every single day. And, and we, we recall that when we pass that altar, we recall the altar from which we receive the Holy Sacrament, uh, the Blessed Sacrament, we receive the Eucharist, and passing that altar constantly reminds us of that so that we are constantly living what God has established for yes. us. Remember, the liturgy is not something that we do for God. It's what God is doing within us to transform us, but it's actually like all the, all the sacraments, they can't be done without God. It's God who does the work, not us. Yes. The, priest is just the minister that God works through. And so I'm also called to be conforming my life to Christ as much as possible as a priest and bringing forth the sacraments. Hopefully my life is holy enough that it's doing that. The sacraments are still going to take place no matter what. But if I can be holy, it helps to make the sacraments better. Yeah, and a good example to everybody else. You know, if if their priest is holy, you know, and and you raise everybody else up to to a higher level, you know, through your holiness. So there's there's a saying, I'm probably going to get it wrong. Uh, It's a French saying, but it says if if the priest is a saint, the people will be holy. If the priest is holy, the people will be good. If the priest is good, people will be lukewarm. If the priest is is lukewarm, uh, the people will be 
vicious or something mm-hmm. like that. And so in, in, a, in a unique way, uh, the parish kind of follows the holiness of the priest. Yeah. And so if, if we are not offering our lives as a sacrifice, if we are not conforming our life to Christ, everybody will suffer. Um, and so when I stand up and I tell people things like, you know what, you got to go to confession. You know, you need to be here at mass. Yeah. If, if I'm not living my life out in a way that shows them that I actually mean this, then it's going to mean nothing to them. Yeah. If, if, I, if I tell someone uh, before they get married, just like, you know, you need to not live together. Like, this is actually good for you. And, and, then, I, and then I don't hold them to it. That's like, what's, what's the point of even saying it then? Yeah. But if I'm not living my life in a, holy, in a holy way according to my vocation, then it means nothing to them. If I'm not doing it, how can I expect to hold them to that high calling if I'm not living my high calling? So, absolutely. Yeah, mm. some really, really good points. And you know, I you know we had many, many, many traditions, you know, liturgical kind of traditions in our home as my kids were growing up. And you guys literally built a chapel, so uh, we did, we did, <laughs> yeah. And you helped, you helped, did, yeah. So awesome. But you know, we're in a new stage of our life. You know, we yeah. were getting out all of our Advent stuff, and my husband said, Kelly, should we? You know, because we always had a, a pretty large paper mache nativity. We leave Jesus out, and mm-hmm. then we had straw. So every good deed the kids nice. would put straw That's into awesome. the the manger he's like should we get out the straw i was like absolutely my grandkids want need to see that you know because mm-hmm. you know as much as i hate to admit this not all of my kids are raising their kids like sure. i would want you know sure. they're they're good parents they're just not re- raising them in the faith that sure. that i would like and i was like no you know the grandkids need to, yeah. need to you know so we are in a different stage of our yeah. life you know but uh, still we keep you know the, the you, you still parent in a roundabout way when, yeah, you, when your grandkids yeah. come over they see it and just yeah. like mom and dad why why don't we do what grandma and grandpa did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly exactly and then remind my kids yeah you know of, of what you know and they do come over I, i'm grateful you know the kids come every sunday you know mm-hmm. with all the kids all the spouses all the grandkids it's it's awesome it's wonderful and and uh, so i'm i'm really I, grateful I think for that's that a phenomenal tradition is to continue having sunday dinners yeah even when your kids are out of the house yeah I love it. It's a lot it's of work because I'm getting old. I but but, that, <laughs> but, it's but good. I mean, you've got kids that can help. <laughs> yeah. Like for for our Thanksgiving, mom had to do the funeral dinner for someone in our parish, and she's like, "I'm tired." She's like, "We're not going to do it as big." And yeah. And so all of the five of the five of us boys were there. It was like, we didn't say it and we didn't do it, but we kind of just pushed her out of the kitchen. We just took over and we just did it. Oh, how um, nice! I mean, mo- mom taught us how to cook, so we could. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a big deal. And um, and she actually could enjoy the day because she had just spent the last two days, three days, preparing for that meal for that yeah. person, that, for the family of that person that had deceased. And so, yeah. So you've got kids. They can do it, too. They can do it, too. There you go. There <laughs> and, you go. And it's another opportunity to teach your kids or yeah. your grandkids. So anyway. Absolutely. Well, we are talking. Oh, my gosh. I could talk all day with I Father know. Brian Logger. And the topic is amazing liturgical living. Okay. So the kind of the next thing that, that we can move on to uh, for that liturgical living, you know, living the seasons, living the holy days, living the feast days, keeping track of that. In, in our parish, we have uh, those calendars that are put out. Um, not everybody has physical calendars anymore, but those physical calendars have the feast days on them and, and things like that. And so there's a couple of different companies that do that. So if your parish has those, pick those up. If not, you can actually get an app that, that helps you to keep track of that. Ivory is one of them. It tells you the saint for the day. Um, there is, um, there's probably a lot of them since this article was written that I'm reading. But there's I uh, Pieta uh, that, uh, that has that. 
there's the Hallow app that does a lot of that mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, Formed does a lot of that now. Um, and so just keeping track of that stuff. So just living the liturgical season and just knowing, being aware of the saint for that day. When, I, when we have school mass, I will ask the kids, number one, I ask them, okay, why am I wearing the color I'm wearing today at mass? Um, what does that color stand for? And then I'll ask, who's the saint? Yeah. You know, and, and just constantly getting that yeah. um, drilled into them. Secondly is, is the mass readings, uh, to, pray it, uh, to pray every day once we become aware of the saint or the season, uh, reading, the, reading the readings every day and just incorporating the word of God into our life every single day. Not only that, but then asking your kids about it. You know, maybe if you read it as a family, maybe it's just the Sunday readings, but just asking your kids, okay, what did they hear? Um, and, and what is God saying to them? Yeah. Um, just, just, you know, the, if we believe that the word of God is alive and that it is living and that it's working today, then we need to actually encourage our kids to be listening. Yes. And, um, okay, so what is, what is the Lord doing in your life? And, and teaching them to pray in that way, teaching them to be aware of that the Spirit is moving in, their, in all of our lives. Yes. And to be listening for that and what that, what that looks like. And so having time for that, it's kind of a, a family Lexio, uh, Lexio Divina in some mm-hmm. way. Lexio Divina just means the divine reading, the mm-hmm. praying through the scriptures. And you can find a guide for that online pretty easily. It's, it, Lexio Divina has probably always been around, but I've seen a resurgence of it a lot mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, lately. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad for that, just yeah. people spending time in the scriptures. And, and the things that the different companies are doing, Catholic companies are doing to help people understand the scriptures, it's phenomenal. It's a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of Bible good stuff in a year there. with Father Schmitz. And the yeah, Catechism yeah, in the year yeah, coming yeah, up. Exactly. So, Can't wait yeah. for that one. That's pretty awesome. I, I am starting the Bible in a year again this year, except I'm not following the podcast. I'm just doing it on my own, reading the Bible and nice. reading the catechism, just sitting with it. I found I've tried to do it a lot of times in my life, and I've only completed it once. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you're doing better than me because I haven't completed it yet at so all. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of hard it sometimes. Is hard. You, you get behind and you get defeated, and then you just kind of give up. And, <laughs> and um, anyway, I'm, I'm like day four or five now. and. Four for four so far. So yeah. um, good for you. So then, uh, I think one of the th- next things we can do is just prepare for Sunday mass. Read the readings as a family, um, not just after mass but before mass to prepare. Maybe talk about um, what the homily was about on the way home from mass, or uh, or just even preparing, even physically. Okay, what can we do on Saturday so that Sunday is actually a day of rest mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. a day in which we have to get ready for the re- week. Yeah. I, I know I, I've met families that Saturday literally is, it's a hard day for them because they clean, they do everything they need to do yeah. for Monday so that they don't have to do it on Sunday. And then Sunday literally is a day of rest. They sit around, they enjoy each other's company, or if they have little kids, they listen to the fighting, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it happens. But but just making a day that, that is devoted to our Lord. And sometimes we, we take that for granted that God has given us Sunday to literally rest, to prepare ourselves um, for the week to be a day of leisure. It's it's not a day for napping, although naps are phenomenal. And sometimes we need the nap, and nap is a good way to be leisurely. But it's definitely not a day in which God has given us to watch six hours of football either. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so what can we be doing as a family to build up one another, one another in the faith? Yeah. The rosary. Uh, some families, like I said, our family didn't pray the rosary growing up. And I tell people, like, I didn't actually learn how to pray the rosary until I taught Totus Tuus in 2001 wow. or two. Wow. Um, yeah. Like, I knew all the prayers, but yeah. I didn't know the mysteries. Yeah. And so uh, it was a late, for me, it was kind of late to learn it. So some families love to pray the rosary together. I know some families, they, I find this to be really beautiful, the way that my brother does it. 
him and his wife, especially when the kids were younger, they would pray it and the kids would be around, but they didn't make them sit there and hold a rosary and kneel and do it. They were just there. As the kids got older, then they'd invite them to participate and actually lead one of the Mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. And so they were very good about letting it naturally flow Mm -hmm. um, into their family. So what can we do during Mass? To live liturgically, place yourself at the foot of Christ's cross during, during, during the Mass. And that's why I think this book, A Devotional Journey into Mass by Christopher Carsons, is a great book to read for that, to help us to understand what's going on at the Mass. It helps us to understand this, uh, the architecture of the church a little bit, to understand the things that we ought to be thinking about at the different parts of the Mass to help us to better pray through the Mass. Because mm-hmm. the Mass sometimes is something that's very foreign to us. It's something completely different than what we experience in the world. So we're just like, what is going on? And so doing that, I think, is a big help. And of course, lastly, the, the family altar, having that place mm. where we can gather around, we can pray, but also recognizing that this is not the altar, not the altar where the sacrifice of the mass takes place, but it's our family altar where we bring our prayers, we bring our petitions, and we can sit around and pray, and we can, it's a, it's a, an imitation of the altar that we go to at Mass to receive the Eucharist. And so we come together as a family around this altar to offer our lives to, to God at, at this place. It's just a place marked in our home to constantly remind ourselves that we are called to be with God and to dedicate and sanctify our day. So. Yeah, beautiful. Oh my gosh, so much good, really, really good, good information there and um, so many ways that we can I, I'm trying to think of a book maybe that would give some of the living out the liturgical year. I know Ble- there are books Blessed out there. Blessed She has one. Okay. Um, and a lot of them are dedicated towards women. And yeah. so I was trying to find stuff for men. Oh, good, 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 <laughs> because, good. Because I think a lot of the stuff that, that are out there are for moms yeah. and uh, moms who are uh, typically more creative than men. So the list that I actually gave was actually a list that was put out by a Catholic gentleman. I think his name's Sam Guzman. Yes. Out of Oklahoma. Yeah. And that was the list that... that I found um, that I gave to you. So excellent, excellent yeah, for men because yeah, they want to follow up on that. Absolutely. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, I think it's especially important for men to do it. Men are the spiritual leaders in the in the home. Um, mm, so important. And uh, and we've seen study after study after study show that when the father and the family lives the faith, everybody else typically follows. Mm. Um, there's a high percentage that they will. That's beautiful, really, truly. All right, so we have just about two minutes. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless all of you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning into Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. This year, we are focusing on Mother Angelica, so we will end this show with one of her quotes. This one is titled, Human Nature. Your human nature, as weak as it is, is part of sanctity. God is calling you and me to great heights of holiness with our human nature. He does not intend for us to destroy it. He intends for us to conquer it. Thank you, Mother Angelica. Please pray for us. You're listening to the network of stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts.